Isaris shall never cross the picket line. Isaris. I shall never vote Tory. Isaris. Doris. No, I am also Doris. We are the band I Doris. This is the Dorising podcast. What is Dorising? Oh, it's an interesting question. Is there anyone else just rapidly googling here to remind themselves what <laughs> Dorising is? According to the Urban Dictionary, Dorising is to engage in really inane conversation of no substance whatsoever or or activities of of no worth whatsoever which seems really rude quite rude quite Quite rude rude. but um i think we should own the uh the dorising and uh doris on with glee yeah i think we own it in style and also i kind of feel in these unprecedented times that we find ourselves just dorising about and having a bit of a chat and a natter with your chums is is kind of all the more important. It is. I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. So that's what we're doing, really. Yeah, we're going to have a chat. And we're going to have some other people to also have a chat. Oh, I'm very excited about our guests this week. We've got super-duper guests this week. We've yeah. got the legend that is Debbie Smith. Uh, we've got the legends that is Karen Amston of the legends Hagar the Womb. And, uh, and the legendary Janine Booth. Uh, All the legends is, in one podcast. Is Janine Booth going to do us a poem? I hope so. Excellent. Shall we have a little listen to some Echo Belly? The yeah. legendary Echo Belly.
Oh, that's oh. the sound of my late teenagers, that was. Oh, <laughs> I'm feeling all mid-90s and I'm loving it. Yeah. It really did just instantly conjure up a, a whole era, didn't it? Yeah, very much so, yeah. They were one of the, the standouts of the sort of Brit poppy type situation that was going on. Who was the singer in Echo Belly? Sonia. I've forgotten her surname. Sonia Madden. Oh, I was thinking, ooh. You. Check out my mid 90s British pop culture. Bands that never made it over to Australia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all up here. I just heard a bing bong. Did you now? <gasps> Who could it be? Who Who's could it be at, at the, door? the door? It's Debbie Smith. Hello. Hello. It's Debbie Smith. <laughs> oh. Hi. Hey. Thanks for joining Hi. us. Are you working from home at the moment? Um, yeah, um, I'm working from home right here, um, except for the last, well, since I'm on strike, participating in industrial action, as oh. uh, um, the council that I work for have uh, decided in their infinite wisdom to uh, sack and re-engage all of the workers on less favourable contracts with oh. um, vastly, vastly reduced um uh, severance pay as well so you know what's coming next oh shit is that a hackney no it's tower hamlets ah i did hear yeah, yeah. Uh, how's it going how's the the campaign going well we've had eight days of strikes we did uh, one three day in july another three days no, actually six days in July and we've had two days so far in August and Monday is the last day of this round of three-day strikes. Um, but we can't strike anymore um, until we re-ballot and they always make it, they've made it really hard for us to actually, uh, you know, do the ballot. So we shall see. Oh, good luck. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm going to be going up to the picket line in uh, uh, Whitechapel tomorrow. So that would be nice. Yes. Yeah, oh, good. best of luck. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. Cheers. What we're trying to do. We were just listening to some Echo Belly. We just listened to Insomniac. Uh, um, how, how long were you in Echo Belly? Um, ninety-three to oh, beginning of beginning of ninety-seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly did ninety-three to ninety-six. Yeah. And what are you up to these days, apart from, you know, fighting the man? And, uh... <laughs> um, well, I had been in several bands, uh, one called uh, Ye Nuns, which you may have heard of. Oh, I love um, Ye Nuns. Yeah. <laughs> loads of gigs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, excellent. Uh, I, I yeah. always thought if I, if I had a choice of like any other band on the little indie circuit right now that I could be in, aside from my own, I think Ye Nuns would be my top pick. Because it just always looks really? like they're having so much fun up there. And the songs Well, we can out. always go for a stunt nun. We, oh, we, yeah, we, all right. We've only, yeah. we only got one stunt nun. Oh, I'll actually Char- take you up on that anytime. <laughs> Charlie Effin Stone is our, is our general stunt nun. But, yeah, we can always do with another. Brilliant. Especially as we're, we're all scattered as well, because our rhythm section lives in uh, Hastings St. Leonard. And our singer now has moved due to Brexit and high you know, rents and stuff. She's moved back to Dublin. Mm. So I'm afraid our gig's going to be even fewer and further between. We were supposed to be playing the Beatway Festival on the 18th of July, but COVID. Mm. 
No festivals yeah. and no fun for anyone this summer. Just boo, boo to the end of all mm. gigs. I really miss them. Yeah. Well, I went out to um, a gig yesterday. Ooh, it's yes. so it's yeah, it was uh, Big Joni. Ever heard of them? I have, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I thought, thing... they, I thought they'd called that off because of the rain. But That's just, the thing. The only thing ahead? was it, it was called off because of the rain, but, it, well, it did rain, but way after the gig was supposed to have been, but um, for mm. safety's sake, I suppose, you know. Um, but they did go into a, a recording studio across the, the way from where we were and they recorded it and it was filmed so I believe that's going to be um, streamed as, as soon as it's all edited and poshed up. Oh, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, but I guess really that's nice going to be... It's really nice to be out um, with the expectation of a gig and to see other people and, you know, it was just really nice. Did they do it in a park? No, it was um, outside the Ecstatic Peace Library in um, Stoke Newington, which is uh, Thurston and Ava's um, bookshop stroke record shop. Well, we, we've got um, a very warm warm part of our hearts for, for Big Journey. I think it was the first ever I, Doris gig um, was playing with Big Journey. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Lovely. Uh, lovely. So you're, you're playing in Blood Tub Orchestra still, are you? Um, again, that's... Um, that's a band that is separated by a body of water most of the oh, time. No. Our singer lives in Paris and um, our drummers live um, either in um, Hastings again or Bulgaria where they also have a house. Oh. So, oh, oh yeah, and, and our bass player is currently living in LA. So oh. tricky. Not bit tricky. Difficult. Well, I thought it was difficult being in a band where people are in different areas of London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But I've just gone, like, even more than one further. And I've gone ten yeah. further than that. <laughs> oh, maybe we need to recruit you for I, Doris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you could be Banjo Doris. <laughs> we probably need a Banjo. Banjo Doris. Yeah. <laughs> could work. Like to it. it could work. There we go. Oh, well, I, I, I'm taking that as, as Debbie Smith has now signed up to I do it. I've got the time now, and I say, <laughs> there we go. Let it be known. <laughs> Everyone's got the time now. <laughs> was there a, were you in a band a few years ago that involved like three drummers, or if I got that wrong? Yes, that was oh, the London Dirt Hole Company. That's right. Yeah. What, what about that band? Because I saw them a couple of times and the lineup kept changing, but it was it was great the few gigs I saw. Well, most of them are the Blood Tub Orchestra now. Oh, uh, right. But, uh, well, okay. when I say most, I mean, we, we had at one point when I was in the band, we had four guitar players, three or four drummers, um, and a rotating lineup of singers. We'd have like nine people on stage at any one time. Excellent. Excellent. <gasps> so, that sounds like the right yeah, number again, of people. <laughs> the um the, the bass player is the linchpin of London Dirt Hole and he's the one who's living in LA at the oh. moment, so that's all on hold as well. But yeah. Oh. Fun times. Oh. Yeah, everything. Don't forget your, oh, nice. your uh, ear ear protection though. My God. Oh <laughs> my god, you guys can make an absolute racket. It was hilarious. I loved it. Oh, oh 
you're you're making me all uh, nostalgic for gigs now. Yeah. Yeah, Well, well, yesterday as I was going down State Newton, I went past Ryan's Bar. Oh, yeah. Does anyone remember Ryan's Bar? Yeah. Yeah, It's been painted. It looks posh. It looks like it's got actual seats in it and everything now. No. I was heartbroken. Because it used to be such a, just a beautiful dive. Mm. You know, that whole company used to play there all the time. It was just, yeah. yeah. But I'm glad it's still there anyway. That's good. Yeah, that is good news because so many little venues aren't anymore. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen in the kind of, you know, as a result of COVID to, to all the, the little venues. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of vaguely hopeful that there'll be a bit of a space for, for kind of independent stuff to creep in, um, you know, probably a whole lot of other unpleasant stuff like people losing their jobs and, you know, big chains and stuff closing down and, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I like to see that on the positive side that, that there'll be a bit of creativity coming out of it. Yeah, well, I hope there's going to be more DIY gigs, a bit like the the Big Joni one. Um, mm. Well, it wasn't an actual gig, but it was going to be. Um, because, you know, gigs are supposed to be, I think it was as of yesterday, that you're allowed to actually open up venues again. Mm. They got to be socially distanced, and that means that no one's going to make any money. Mm. you're only going to get what no. a third or a quarter of the of people in there and um you know bands are not going to get paid very much and no you won't be able to pay the bar staff no no it's uh it's it all seems a bit lost but like you say a definite uh inroad for diy hopefully yeah if you, if you don't spend then you know and people you know play you know for for the love of it you know, it might get the heart back into the music scene again, you know. Not that it isn't, you know, because uh, you guys, the loud women as well, that's, you know. We're still here. I, I bow down. I bow down <laughs> to your entrepreneurial brilliance. I mean, you've got um, you've got a chapter in America now, haven't you? Oh, we've got uh, two chapters in, in America, uh, one in Canada. Uh, there's one, one in Australia. Australia, yeah. Wow. Ireland. Oh, my God. I just heard the doorbell. Did anyone else hear the doorbell? <gasps> Ding dong. Oh, I did hear the doorbell. Oh, my <laughs> word. Shall we see who's at the door? There's somebody at the door. <laughs> so, thank you. Someone else remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see who's at the door. I don't think it's going to be grot bags. Oh. It's Hello. 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 How are you doing? I'm very well. I've just been drinking vodka and watching Come Down with me, which was quite a nice preparation for this. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Lovely love to see you. I love your cardi. What does it? What does it say on your t-shirt? It says unsatisfied communist scumbag feminist goblin. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Perfect, isn't it? That's a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, Karen, do you know Debbie? Debbie, know, do you know Karen? Your party must have crossed. Very weirdly, we once played at Roger's wedding. Do you we Roger? did, yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dirt Hole played and Hagar played because uh, Roger's in both bands, or was at the time, yeah. Oh. 
It was, and about 50 people left the wedding as we played, and we were left singing to the wedding cake. We got some very good photos of, out of it, but we decided we were never going to be a wedding band, but that's the only time I think yeah. we played with you. But I, I've seen Hagar millions of times, because I used to see you a lot back in um, the 80s. Oh, my God. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Wood Green, uh, you know, the uh, the bus station, the bus, oh, yes, the bus yes. station? Because I'm, yeah. And um, where is it? Did you see that? Boys and girls. Oh, oh amazing tattoo. Oh, lovely. So, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with your work, Karen. Oh, well, very nice. And I'm familiar with yours. I remember that the noise limiter kept cutting out, and so you were playing really brilliantly for about three minutes, and then the noise, the noise limiter comes out. Oh, you had to start again. I felt gutted for you that night. Did you do like the standard wedding hits? Did you do Come on Eileen and that kind of stuff or no? Well, Roger decided, didn't he, that he was just going to, because it was his wedding, he was going to play in every band he was in at that time. And so yeah. his poor new wife had to stand there while he played about nine sets. No, we were told it was a punk audience and then... They were all wearing suits and they left while we were playing. Oh, <laughs> That's not but Roger was very, very happy, and it was his big day, so... Yes, yeah, he had a good time. So, so Karen, what have you been up to in, uh, you know, this weird time we find ourselves in? Well, it's been a bit odd for me. I've been working every day. I work for a housing association, so I've been writing lots of miserable things about COVID-19. I've had COVID-19, mm. and I've been growing lots of vegetables. So not very rock and roll, but, you know... So, been a bit grim, but not that bad, I would say. But no music. I'm no. really jealous of people who've managed music, but no music. We've talked about this in some of the, the other podcasts. It, you know, it seems like a lot of people have just had a bit of a block on during this, this time. Um, yeah, I think it's quite a common experience. It's difficult for us because our band, some of us in the South Coast, some in Norfolk, and someone lives in Wales, and one of us is shielding. And so there was just no way we are ever going to meet and record anything. And we're too musically incompetent to do it over across a number yeah. of screens. <laughs> we need people conducting us to actually be able to manage to <laughs> produce something. But no, I, we were about to start um, rehearsing and recording and we had some lovely gigs lined up and things like that. And, you know, like with everyone else, it's really gone to pop. But I do admire people who've managed to carry on in such difficult circumstances. But, yeah, we're too incompetent and too oh. far apart. So what can we expect to be coming out once everything starts up again? Well, we have written some new songs, so I think we'll finally, if we can actually ever get in the same country, we will rehearse them. We, um, we, we were due to play a festival in Brussels in November, but, I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll be gigging until next year like everyone else. You know, it's just gutting to think about the music venues and everyone who depends on this. We decided, actually, that we're actually saving money by being in lockdown because we lose money on every gig. So <laughs> we're actually saving money by being trapped in our homes. But, you know, for everyone else who actually really depends on it as a livelihood, it's, you know, it's gutting and it's gutting to think how many venues won't be able to open even when the government say they can. Yeah. And so... 
I think that's the thing we're most upset about at the moment. There are a lot of venues where I live in Brighton. There are a number of venues like the Green Door Store, and there are rumours that they may never reopen again. And so one oh, of the no. things will be... I know. And so one of the things we'll be finding out what venues have survived and what, you know, what hasn't and what's out there and how we can make gigs work in the future. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that will be the biggest shocks when we come out. I mean, yeah. I don't know what it's like in London and other places, but, yeah, I, I feel here there are some that are really hard hit. Yeah, same here. I mean, it kind of feels like everyone's um, kind of a, a couple of months away from 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 collapse at the moment. Mm, it's yes. um you know obviously the the furlough scheme has has kept a lot of businesses yes. just kind of holding on so it'll be interesting to see what happens when that when that comes to an end in the next couple of months but, uh, some, there's, there's got to be a lifeline because there's you know there's so many businesses that that depends on um on people being in a room together Oh God, yeah, no, and then, you know the amazing work of the Music Venue Trust and the and the venues that have highlighted it and crowdfunded and everything like that. But I also still think there isn't a recognition of how much money and how vital it is in an industry and how much you need the the smaller venues. And you know that that realization that the amount of bands that play at the Green Door Store or play at the Hope and Anchor and things like that, and then where you know. Some of them may never get bigger than that, but some of them may end up selling multi-million pound record, you know, and we need the whole of that sector to survive. And I don't feel entirely confident that our current government understands that, but I'm glad there are out people out there making them aware how we need to survive. But yeah. For anyone who's listening and, and for whatever reason isn't aware of, of Hagar the Womb, just, just give us a little, little background. Uh, you started in 1980, is that right? Yes. We're very old. We formed in 1980, and really because we were going to see lots of bands like the Poison Girls, Crass, Flux, and we realised, apart from um, Vice Versa and the Poison Girls and a few women in um, Crass, there weren't really that many people out. You know, there weren't that many young women out in punk bands like that. And we thought, well, fuck it, we want to do one. And so we decided that in six weeks' time, we were going to play this gig supporting Flux. And so we formed a band in six weeks. Yes. Some may never say we have actually got any better since then. We've never really improved. But we, you know, we played a very rough and ready gig six weeks later. And we then played probably every week for about another five years until life got in the way. We then stopped for 25 years and then we found out that someone wanted from America wanted to bring out a reissue of those old songs. And we thought, oh, should we just get together for one gig um, just to play it and promote the record? And so we played a gig in um, Bristol um, and we were really encouraged by Mark from The Mob. And um, I, I like telling my children this because they're not impressed by anything else we do. But the next week, Ed Sheeran played at the same venue. <laughs> And um, we still really didn't think we were going to do much more. But actually, then we decided we really liked it. We liked seeing each other. We forgot why we fell out with each other. And we've loved it ever since. And we've now actually been back together longer than we were ever first time round. We've recorded new material. We're on Grow Your Own Records. We had an album, a mini album out last year with Hagit called Hagitate. And yeah, we're going strong, despite the fact that we're now much older and wiser. <laughs> I was in in sort of preparation for for meeting you. I was listening to is it is it hagiography or 
hagiography. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, I've know. got the title wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was a sort of a compilation best of type thing. Mm. And uh, what an amazing album. I would, I would urge anyone who's listening to, to have a listen. It's on Bandcamp. And, um, yeah. oh, it's just solid gold. I, I absolutely love every bit of it. So the songs on that, are they spanning right back to the beginning? They are more of our newer songs. Well, yeah. sorry, there are some newer songs and old songs. The one we did after that, Hagitate, is new songs. And so hagiography is more of a thing that's kind of across the first five years and then more recently as well. Because I think our priorities have changed. I think since we reformed, part of our thing is about, we you know, we were 18 or 19 when we wrote our first set of songs. And even though we play some of them now, I think our interests and concerns have changed. And things like our newest songs, like Visible Woman, are about what it's like to be a middle-aged woman in a punk band and feeling sometimes ignored. Some of those things we felt when we were 18, but we, we probably feel them even more now as women in our 50s on stage. Object of desire Didn't have to strive then 
did hear a ding Ooh. dong. There was a ding dong. Let's see who's at the door. Let's do that. It's Janine Booth and a cat. Hi, Janine. And my cat. Oh, Hello, Janine's cat. Hello, cat. She's called Doris. No, she's not. The cat looks furious to, to suddenly have all, all these faces. She's been interrupted by the podcast. She <laughs> <laughs> flounce off in any, at any minute. Seriously grumpy ears going on there. Mm. <laughs> my booth so much. are her favourite place to sit. Comfy. Uh, do you know everyone, Janine? Um, you're all called Doris, aren't you? We're all called Doris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Debbie Smith and Karen Amston of Hagar the Womb. Uh, please meet Janine Booth. Hello. Poet, Hi, Janine. I know Janine. I know Janine. She comes into my work. I Ooh. do. I do. This is true. This is a very good story for you, Doris, is here. Do you want to start the story? Yeah. And I'll carry on the story. You start, though, yeah? Me? Well, okay. Well, I I work, as I was telling you before, for Tower Hamlets in their um, local history library and archives and uh, sat on the desk and uh, Janine had come in previously. She sat at the microfilm um, and, and, you know, been very studious. And I'm like, I think I know her. But I was like, I wasn't sure, so I just sat back down. And she came up. And um, I was like, I know, I know her, I know, I know her. Where do I know her from? And I'm like, apples and pears, apples and pears. She's a poet. I've seen her supporting that famous subversa, apples and pears, in the 80s. I know I have. So you carry on. And, yeah, so I, there I was um, researching. This is a very good Dorothy story, this, actually. Researching the life of Minnie Lansbury, who was oh. East End suffragette, socialist and rebel councillor. Um, I, I wrote a biography of her, which was published a while ago and is available online from Five Leaves Bookstore. And very good it is <laughs> nice. too. Yeah, well very good it is too. But Get anyway, to loads of the kind of original source material is, is in the archive. It's a fantastic place. I love it. And you go there and you bury yourself in dusty archives and the rest of the world just stops troubling you. It's great. And the staff there are marvellous. Marvellous. So <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Try my best. Try my best. Uh, yeah, because Janine, of course, you have you have lots of different uh, strings to your bow. No, uh, I have too many strings on my bow, really. But there's none of them I'm prepared to remove from my bow, so I just have to remain very stringy. You are you're a poet. You're a, you're a cat seat. <laughs> I am a cat seat. I'm a dog seat as well, and and my neck often sometimes it's a snake seat. Oh, you've got a snake as well. My son, my son has a snake and uh, it likes to wrap itself around my, around my neck. He's very the good. Delightful. Mm. <laughs> you are also a trade union activist. Um, I am, yeah. So I'm active in the RMC trade union because my proper job is that I work as a station supervisor on the night tube. A um, bit dull at the moment as we have no night tube because of COVID-19. So... I, I, I can possibly say in public, in case my management were listening, that this gives me more opportunity to write poems. But <laughs> it, it, it also gives me less material because, as I can, I can assure you, that night tube passengers are a very rich source of material for. <laughs> I'm sure. So, yes, yeah, so I'm involved in the RMT trade union. In fact, it is another Dorothy fact for you here. 
I was the first woman ever to complete a full term on the National Executive of the RMT. Oh, well done. Oh, what a it's fact. It's kind of good, but kind of fucking shockingly awful that that didn't happen until <laughs> 2011. 2011? Yeah. Jeez. Amazing. Mm. Right now. And, and Janine, do you know Karen? <laughs> Oh, still on introductions, flipping it. We've been going yes. on so many tangents, I've forgotten. I'm not <laughs> sure. We always come Hello, back Karen. around eventually. <laughs> no, I haven't had the honour, no. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we've had the pleasure. Don't I have a phobia of tube there. trains. I've had <laughs> therapy to overcome my terror of tube trains, so that's probably why oh. we've never met. Oh. But, but Karen, Karen is in a very excellent band called Hagar the Womb that um, she I, was I, just... I, I remember them from a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's like it was like, a very oh, long. It's like I'm meeting a pop star here, from the, who <laughs> I remember from my youth. It's very exciting. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm surprised that you've you've not all three been been together in the same room before. No. <laughs> well, we've been brought together today. Separate the Tower Hamlets. History archive, obviously. <laughs> I, I've been in the room with both of you, but not yeah. both of you together. We should do a gig in the archive. <laughs> yeah, as long as we don't have to do it on the uh-huh. tubes. Yeah. <laughs> Janine, you've just moved to the seaside, I believe. You're, I you're have. I'm so excited. Honestly, feel like I have died oh. and gone to heaven. So having, I've, I've just left Hackney, which I've lived in for more than 20 years, and which is an absolutely fabulous place. I don't want my leaving Hackney to be any kind of... Uh, reflection of not liking it at all. It's it's fab, but I have moved to Lewis in East. Oh, Sur- I love Lewis. That's where Which I want to retire to. Paradise. So it's not quite the seaside, but it's about six or seven miles from the seaside. But it's uh, oh, oh, what can I tell you about Lewis? It's wonderful. It's it's so nice. It's it's actually like Hackney in the South Downs. <laughs> all the really good things about Hackney, but instead of being surrounded by the rest of London, it's surrounded by a national park, and um. And the air's clean and stuff, uh, which is great. It's also, um, there's also some remarkable facts about Lewis. It's basically the seat of bourgeois democracy in, in, in Britain and America, because Thomas oh. Paine, who was one of the mm-hmm. driving ideological forces behind the um, uh, American Revolution, booting out the British, he, he w- lived in Lewis and wrote a lot of his stuff here. And also the turning point of the, um, the English Civil War, was in was the Battle of Lewis mm. when Simon de Montfort beat the king, and uh, yeah, led to our only period of British history where we managed fine without a monarch. That's I had no right. idea. Mm. I didn't know that. Also, you you'll find this really hard to believe. Lewis, believe it or not, is the site of the most deadly avalanche that's ever taken place in Britain. Wow! Well, <laughs> no. no. somewhere in Scotland or something, but it was actually Lewis. Is there a mountain in Lewis? No, not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore, (laughs) There's a cliff where the chalk quarry was and a load of snow fell off the top of it onto a street. Oh, crikey. Long time ago. I mean, the UK is not really well known for its avalanches, is it? In general. So it's a fairly low bar. Yeah, I would say so. deadly avalanches. But you would assume it would be in Scotland or somewhere you with, you know, actual you mountains. Lewis wouldn't be your first guess. No, for sure. Um, am I right in thinking that Lewis has quite a famous um, bonfire? Absolutely, although, guess what? It's been cancelled for the first time ever <laughs> this year because of COVID. Yeah, it's, uh, well, look, so there's a whole lot of religious stuff here. Um, and there was, like, 
Protestant martyrdom in Lewis years ago. And there's a bit of a tradition of, they go really wild on bonfire night. There's like half a dozen massive bonfires dotted around Lewis. It's only quite a small place. Only about 17,000 people live here. This is the, and, and they're massive parades through the town. And they, they burn effigy hope, which is um, not very politically fun, correct. Fun, fun for all the family? It would, it would be, you know, it would be fair enough if they burned, if they burned effigies of the leader of every world revolution, probably. I think that would be equality. Uh, that would be all right. But uh, but recently they started burning effigies of Tories as well. So that's okay. <laughs> and is that why you've moved there? <laughs> uh, I, I believe they did it in preparation for me moving there. <laughs> that's how they lured you in. So I think my first introduction to, to Janine Booth um, was when when Lucy and I, in fact, were, or sorry, Doris and I were in a band called The Faction. Um, and and Janine quite often we'd we'd end up on the on the same um same bells. Um and your your book, Berkshire, I think at the time was um mostly hating Tories. Mostly hating Tories, yeah. <laughs> Guess what it was about? <laughs> mostly hating Tories. <laughs> Um, Sadly, well, still topical. Yeah, indeed. And although I've had several books through since then that are not called Mostly Hating Tories, I would like to assure you that I still do. And they still have lots of Tory hating content. Because I know you'd be quite anxious about that otherwise. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good to know. <laughs> um, I wondered whether you might like to do a bit of a poem for us, if that's um, hmm. that wouldn't upset the cat too much. Shall I do a short Tory hating poem? And then, then a rather more... Uh, I did a really short Tory hanging poem and then, a, and then a rather better poem. So this is my really short Tory hanging poem. When I was young and full of rage, I hated Tories to my core. But now I've reached a gentler age. I hate the fuckers even more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I, I do kind of lefty, shouty, ranty poetry, as you, could, as you probably noticed. Um, but I decided a couple of years ago that I needed to, uh, I should learn a bit more about proper poetry. So what do you do when you want to learn about proper poetry? Yes, I read a biography of Philip Larkin. Um, turns out he was a writing bastard with a bad attitude to women. But there you go, still quite a good poet. Anyway, there's a bit in there where it's talking about his uh, time as an undergraduate at um, Oxford University in the 1940s. And it describes a friend that he made there as, amongst various other things, um, an author of several unpublished books. And those of you who write poetry and lyrics will, will recognise a certain, you know, sometimes you read a phrase and it's got a certain rhythm to it and you think, ooh, ooh, a bit poetic that. And then my head started to unpick the politics of that phrase. And uh, I started thinking that, look, if you were an undergraduate bloke, at Oxford University in the 1940s and therefore very, very posh, and you were the author of several unpublished books, it was almost certainly because your books were shit. <laughs> but for everyone in that situation, there are thousands upon thousands of working class women and men uh, who are also the authors of several unpublished books, not because their books are shit, but because um, they don't have access to that level of resources and privilege and opportunity to get them published. Or more likely, life got in the way of them writing them in the first place. Ditto, unrecorded musicians, unexhibited painters, etc., etc. Um, so anyway, re reading that line and then my head going into kind of overdrive mode, mode, unpicking it, prompted me to write this poem. And this poem is called Unpublished Author. 
a traveller to worlds of unvisited places. <clears throat> Sorry. Cats, cats. <laughs> a traveller to worlds of unvisited places, a winner of numerous unstarted races, a painter of touch-ups that could have been pictures, designer of unproduced fittings and fixtures, inventor of gadgets that never made patent, finds skills unfulfilled and fierce passions still latent, a cordon bleu chef feeds her kids what she cooks, an author of several unpublished books. A soldier soprano who sings in the shower, an artist who hires out her craft by the hour, a teller of stories, a co-educator, a thinker, philosopher, poet, creator, composer of lullabies heard just at home. Her life may stand still, but her mind likes to roam. A scrawler of lines stuffed in crannies and nooks, an author of several unpublished books. A washer of dishes, a wiper of arses, a lister of wishes, a dropout from classes. When muse could have struck, she was clearing up muck or out earning a buck or so tired she got stuck. A riser at dawn, she's a clock in and outer, she's patched up and worn, she's a serial self-doubter. The sleazeball at work says she's losing her looks, an author of several unpublished books. She danced in the dust, but her neighbour's abusive. Containerized living is hardly conducive. She'd love to be nosy, but breaks are elusive. The one time she tried, the reply was conclusive. A writer of plot lines, divisor of hooks, an author of several unpublished books. A worker of overtime, Christmas is nearing, toiling in noise, getting harder of hearing. Watch time grinding onwards, her dreams disappearing. Her subconscious critic is constantly jeering. She's one of those stars whom our world overlooks, an author of several unpublished books. Wonderful. Yay. That was great. Thanks, Jenny. Oh, very lovely. Karen, do you, do you write songs in, in Hagar the Womb? I confess I never wrote any first time round. I did write one, <laughs> finally, um, this time, and I have written a new one, which um, called Only a Mother, which we haven't recorded yet, which was really prompted by some people were recruiting people at work. And they looked at this woman's CV and she had a gap of five years and they went, oh, well, she was only a mother. And I got so angry, I had to go home and write. So I, I don't think the muse has struck very often, but I think as I get older and angrier, I think I'm likely to write more songs. But I think I was particularly furious then. So no, it's, it's normally been other people. I really want to hear that song. Yeah. What about you, Debbie? Do, do you write songs? Um, historically, not really. I mean, when, when I was um, back in the eighties, when I was in uh, the Drinking Lesbians band, Mouth Almighty, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant. I used to I used to write songs then, but that was oh god, I was like twenty when I last wrote my my uh, last full song. But um, I've always written my guitar bits in every band that I've been in, always done that. And sometimes those guitar bits have found their way into being the uh, main vocal melody, which has annoyed me because I never got any credit. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's fine. Uh, lately, I've set up a little studio in my um, back bedroom and I've been sort of uh, making little loops with a looper pedal and recording them onto the computer in vain hopes that a song will come out and maybe it will one day who knows i have oh, to ask are there any extant recordings from mouth almighty it sounds amazing <laughs> um yes that we the the one actual recording we made officially was on a 
uh, a French LP called London Girls, which I think you can still get pretty cheap mm. if you search online. It's it's um, a compilation of all female-fronted or female bands in London in the, or oh, about 1990, I think. And we've got a song on there called Breaking Your Legs Won't Get Us Nowhere. It's a lovely, gentle number. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm making notes here, oh. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got bands like um, the, uh, oh, was it the Reenies? Or oh, the band that was that was after the Reenies. There was also, um, oh, well, there's loads of bands. I just can't think at the moment. But Spies of Saturn were on there. Um, uh, the Dead Famous People uh, from... Uh, New Zealand, yeah, it's 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 really good. It's a, a very good snapshot of the London women's music scene of the time. So if you can find it, yeah, I don't think it'll it'll cost a lot of money, but yeah, get on Discogs. Bit of history there. Amazing. <laughs> Debbie Smith for this evening has very kindly uh, selected some some music. Debbie runs the uh, the Nitty Gritty Club. Literally. A week or so before COVID, we'd actually lost our venue because of some dastardly double dealing by a brewery um, with, uh, you know, over the pub that we were hosting. So I have no idea what's going on for the moment, but um, hopefully some online DJing. But again, it's I haven't actually got a DJ set up. I've only got a record player. So I could do the old time, just put one record on and go, all right. And then put another record in there. <laughs> nice. You know. So maybe that's in my stars in the future. Who knows? Yeah. These tracks that you've sent over, I hadn't heard any of them before, and they're they're amazing. Uh, I'm going to put on this this first one, which is just most perfect choice. This is how to keep your husband happy. <laughs> One, find a graceful body. Two, be at home when you arrive. If you must work, try to arrange it so you're home first. Three, club sexy for your evenings at home. Four, be interested in him and the things he does. Shake up, turn up, turn up with Debbie. Shake up, turn up, turn up with Debbie. How to shake up. Six, bright smile of a morning coffee. This paints a good mental picture of you for the whole day. Seven, nice boy. Keep it soft and musical, also a pretty laugh. Eight, excess fat. Kaboo! Debbie says jump, Debbie says jump, Debbie says bend, Debbie says bend, Debbie says touch your toe.
are out and wear a bed cap. 12, a regular manicure. 13, a weekly pedicure. Cosmopolitans. Awesome. I don't know very much about them. It's like a sort of no wave uh, band in America in the early 80s, very B 52s like. And mm. basically, that song was uh, um, they, there was like a, a, a physical trainer on the television called Debbie at the time. And they also took the uh, How to Keep Your Husband Happy tips from a 1950s manual. So they were, you know, snark was available in the in the 80s obviously so. amazing i'm obviously keeping keeping note of all of those things i shall be paying yeah, i've never had to manicure fails <laughs> 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 rules to live by yeah i like the idea of, of of giving them a nice smile so that they can think be thinking about that during during their day <laughs> dear so this is another one. This is perfect. This is by Doris Troy, who mm. I've never even heard of. It's a, it's a Doris. Doris, it's a, Doris. Uh, it's a good start. I had to get a Doris on, didn't I? Yay. This is Heartaches. <laughs>
I, you know, that's exactly the word I was going to use for it. That's lush, that's isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, that was um, from 1965. She actually recorded that for London Records, and she recorded it in London as well. Um, and uh, you might you might know Doris Troy from another song, a most famous song, I think. It's a staple of karaoke machines across the world. It's called Just One Look. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Right. It's the same lady. Was, that, was it originally her song then? Yeah. Oh. She Wonderful. sounds so much like so, Dusty Springfield. I think I'd always thought that Just One Look was Dusty Springfield. No, Dusty was an admirer of, of, of Doris. I just looked um, her up on Wikipedia while I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> just to say, apparently, she was one of four female backup singers on The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Oh, oh. yeah. Yep, she but, was. Um, um, yeah, and there's a really good compilation album. Uh, I think it's a double CD that you can get anywhere. It's a good, good starter. It's is that the same just one look that the Hollies did? Yeah. yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the Hollies liked covering uh, black American uh, female songs. So. Well, I don't blame them. This is nuts. In, in trying to I look up... Manchester, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> look up the version that I couldn't remember. I found a list of all the people who've covered this, who's covered just one look, and there is a lot to it. So Martha and the Vandellas, the Hollies, the Scorpions... Um, oh, who else to have? Uh, Bob Morrison, Linda Ronstant... Kirsty McCall, uh, Shaken Stevens, Brian Ferry, Lulu. Oh, Shaky. Shaky. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of I people hear that. this song. Pride of the Valleys. <laughs> oh, oh. Right, yeah, the edited version of this podcast is going to have a lot of versions. Of, of <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have snippets of many different versions. <laughs> Definitely. And I think we might also, the Dorises might have to cover this now based on the fact that it's by someone called Doris. Yeah. So we'll stick that in the set list immediately for when we next play our gig in four years. I think we should re- <laughs> review the lyrics though. I'm sure we can do something with the concept of just I reckon one so. Well, that's kind of our USP anyway. <laughs> here at I, Doris. That's right, because Janine, you've written uh, new lyrics for I, Doris's cover of uh, up the junction, isn't that right? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I did write it for I Doris. <laughs> I wrote it initially as a poem, but then I Doris grasped it and did a wonderful recording of it. Yeah, so I was, I got this kind of thing about, um, hey, we all really love the songs that we love when we were teenagers, didn't we, really? <laughs> um, but a lot of them are tell a story from a bloke's point of view. So there's a fair bit of scope for rewriting a lot of them from a woman's point of view. So uh, as well as that one, I also had to go at rewriting um, Janie Jones by The Clash. Oh, wow. Oh, Review the God. Woman's Sex Worker. Um, Gary Gilmore's Eyes by The Adverts from the point of view of Gary Gilmore's mother. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a bit dark, that one. <laughs> a bit grim. Um, but no, this one was um, is, is my favourite, which is Squeezes It Up The Junction, um, rewritten by, from the point of view of the girl from Clapham. Just because uh, it's, kind of, it's a kind of nice story and it's not like, it's not like he tells it in a really horrible way. He just tells it from his point of view. He's, you know, young lad, gets his bird up the duff, you know, drinks too much, she dumps him, everything goes to shit, life's up the junction. 
Um, so the story's kind of similar from her point of view, but but different as well. So. I really like it, and I think it works as a poem and as a and as a lyric. I, I just loved it because I'd, I'd always felt that that song, because I, I am a girl from Clapham, I've always felt that that yeah, there is that as well as about me. <laughs> <laughs> Although, fortunately, that was the only kind of um, parallel. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it, it kind of reminded me a bit of my kind of my mum's situation as well. Kind of um, yeah, having a bit of a bit of a rotter for a, another half. So it was, yeah, I, I, I thought that it was a, a lovely coming together of, um, of things, <laughs> that, that song. Really. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I will, I will play with I, Doris, if we do some more of Janine's rewritten lyrics. Yeah. Oh, there's a Yay. challenge. I should maybe open the two. Podcast listeners, do you have any favourite lyrics? Which are written by a bloke. So I'm actually I've got I've got two in progress actually which I'm going to dust down out of my notebook. Um, one is Duke with John by Duke with John. Yes, oh, oh, nice. and the other one is Teenage Kicks because you know, oh, teenage girls have teenage kicks as well, don't they? And you kind of it's a Certainly wonderful, day. wonderful song, wonderful song. I'll definitely kicks, play that. Kind of makes you think that only teenage boys have have sexual desire. I'll definitely play that. I know the chords yeah. already. <laughs> I would, I would, I'm really looking forward to right. hearing hearing how the, uh, the lyrics for this one go. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's make that magic happen. So if anyone listening right. to this would like to nominate a lyric <laughs> to be re- that, a lyric that tells a story from a bloke's point of view, rewritten from the woman's point of view. I mean, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> We're not going down this path, aren't they? Yeah. Well, should we play uh, the last of uh, Debbie's I was going to call you Doris sorry I've just got into the habit of calling everyone Doris oh, I noticed I'm going to be a Doris though isn't I yeah. I noticed there's a mug on a mug tree in the background with a big D on it upside down obviously because it's on a mug tree yeah. and I was oh, wondering for Doris. I was wondering whether that was Debbie or Doris you know <laughs> be either be either both <laughs> this last song Veins Where We Sleep what's this Debbie um, where We Sleep is uh, my friend Beth. I used to be in a band with her for oh, a number blindness. of years. Blindness. Yeah. yeah. Blindness so this is her latest fam- project. Famously headlined the very ever first Loud Women gig. <laughs> That's right, down in the Veg Bar, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the silver, no, it's the Silver Bullet in Finsbury Park. Oh, God, which, yes. Yeah. Finsbury Park, yes. That's right, and I got out my uh, my uh, union card and everything. I remember now. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was that. Uh, I did it. I did do that at the Silver Bullet. It might not have been that gig, but yes. So um, Beth is now doing this project her on her own, but she um, has a lot of help from other people, mostly guitarists um, coming in and playing bits of guitar. And this is one that I played the guitars on. So yeah, there you go. Let's have a listen.
wonderful. Oh, thank you so Very much. Mm. Do you play any instruments, Karen? No, absolutely not. I'm I used to play the cello when I was six, and that was it. No, I was going to be the drummer, then I was going to be the guitarist, and then the bass player in our band. And then I decided I was a talentless show off, and I've never learned to play an instrument. So no, I can't play anything. <laughs> no musical talent. <laughs> oh well, I wouldn't say that precisely. <laughs> It is, but I think mainly Ruth and I decided to go up front, A, because no one else wanted to do it, but B, we didn't want the bother of learning an instrument. And also, I think if you're a show-off, it's quite a nice place to be at the front. No, clearly, if you had no musical talent, you'd be a poet. That's I can't rhyme either. I can't, I can't rhyme and I can't remember words. Honestly, when people, when people interview poets, the first question they always ask was, well, why are you a poet then? And the answer is always, because I'm shit at music. I'm a punk singer. You don't even need to punk <laughs> singer. <laughs> uh, but if we go one stage further, you see punk poets. You don't, you don't even need to be able to play an instrument badly. <laughs> you have to go by yourself. At least I've got other drunk people on stage. Yeah. <laughs> So this is actually this is a really good time to profess that. Um, so I, I started doing poetry in the 1980s as a as a punk poet, and we used to just get up in between. I know, I saw you. Yeah, there you go. Everyone's showing their age now. And then I stopped at the end of the 1980s. I stopped for 25 years, and for 25 oh. years I didn't read, write, perform, or even think about a poem, wow. except on rare occasions when my mates got me sufficiently drunk. Why was that, Janine? I I don't know. Um, I keep thinking about this. I I, I kind of think I... For me, even when I was doing the ranting poetry um, in the 80s, it was always more about what I was trying to say than the precise medium through which I said it. So when I went to university and got involved in student politics, got more actively involved in the labour movement, that kind of stuff, finding myself doing speeches and chanting on demos and that kind of stuff, that kind of met the same need, really. And I, I found myself not um, writing poems that kept up with my areas of interest and gradually stopped doing it. Although my friend Jean remembers me saying at the time um, that one of the reasons I stopped was that I didn't think people would take me seriously as a political woman while I carried on getting on stage doing comedy poet, poetry. Because, hmm. uh, you know, some of my stuff involves larking around and being silly and doing funny poems and stuff like that. And that's quite interesting thinking back on that, isn't it? Because women in politics struggle to be taken seriously anyway. Uh, women in music struggle to be taken seriously. So if that was one of the reasons I stopped for 25 years, it's quite sad really, isn't it? But, you know, never mind. I've come back now. That's so what cool. made you pick it up again? Um, so partly uh, there was a couple of reasons. Partly, I finished that term on the RMT National Executive that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. And believe me, that had given me a lot of bloody material. Um, but also that involved, that was that was full time for three years. And then I went back to my job on the underground, which is a part time job. So I had kind of more, more time. Um, but also around that time, Tim Wells, who's a poet, poet who I'm sure some of you know, um, got a grant from the Arts Council to do a retrospective about 1980s ranting poetry. And he interviewed me about it, and it, it kind of, you know, tickled my nostalgia, and made me start, made me start thinking uh, I should do it again. But I think, I think the actual, the actual kind of world event that 
triggered me to write a poem and that got me writing and performing again uh, was the murder of Reva Steenkamp. Um, I wrote a poem about that called Her Name is Reva because the TV just kept referring to her as Oscar Pistorius's girlfriend, mm -hmm. as though that was her name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wrote that and I thought, ah, yeah, writing poetry, quite good this, I'll carry on with this. That is very pleasing. <laughs> Glad that you did. Yeah, that's a long half time for anyone though, isn't it? 25 years. <laughs> we had to rest for 25 years as well, and it is a big shock, isn't it, going back? I yeah, was, but it's, I had to take value. really interesting back. because <laughs> poetry, poetry has changed a lot in that time. And um, the, the 80s ranting poetry, and I don't mean this is a criticism of any of them, right? It was white blokes and me and a couple of other women, um, which is great for me. I could get less gigs. Because if you want a woman, didn't have me to pick from. <laughs> um, but these days, it's it's amazing. The poetry and spoken words say you go to a gig in London in particular. You've got a choice of several gigs every night when when there isn't a global pandemic on, obviously. Um, and you'll go there and you'll find the performers are all ages, uh, all colours, all genders. There's without needing to fly a big flag saying hello, we're diverse, aren't we? You know, it's just people, very diverse people are doing this and it's brilliant. And what's happened in between is stuff like rap and grime. And um, it, it almost goes back hundreds of years, isn't it, doesn't it, to why people wrote poetry in the first place, to tell stories. And, and then part of the reason people use rhythm and rhyme in spoken word was because before the printing press and TV, obviously, and stuff like that, the way that news was spread from village to village was uh, minstrels and poets going around singing and telling about what had happened. And you can remember the story better if it's got a rhythm and a rhyme. Mm. It's much easier to, to, to remember rhythm and rhyme poetry than it is free verse. I've no idea how people write free verse. It's, whoa, <laughs> beyond me. There you go. Sorry, I rabbited quite a lot then, didn't I? It's, it's one might say Doris. Yeah, yeah. I Doris. <laughs> yep. Damn fine Dorising that one. <laughs> Good job. Excellent Dorisa. <laughs> I also agree. I think it I don't think the punk scene has changed as much as that, but I think it is very, very different now. When we used to play gigs, we were often the only women there and we were subjected to some horrible behaviour, even by famous punk rockers at that time that I wouldn't go and name. Mm -hmm. about our behaviour and we felt very much we've been added on as an afterthought we were called stupid little girls and and some people threatened us and things like that and it just feels a lot safer and a lot more inclusive now and a lot nicer which is probably why we've done it for a lot longer this time round. Yeah. I don't think in punk there's as many gigs now we used to be able to play every week whereas now we're old and tired and it costs us a fortune so we only play every month yeah. but Safety. Like a monthly and... cycle, yeah. <laughs> like a monthly... Mine have gone, but yes. <laughs> but it feels no, so I, much... I agree. Yeah. So much I agree with you, Karen, because, yeah. Back back in the day when I used to go and see you in the eighties, I was more or less nearly nearly every single time I'd be the only black face there. Oh, God, yeah. Black yeah. female face. I'd be the only black face there in any punk gig that I went to. Mm -hmm. But um luckily because it was the anarcho scene, everyone was pretty friendly. Um and I, I suppose they couldn't feel as if they could really be that sexist towards me because I was very butch and one other lad sort of thing. And you also I was black. So 
Yeah, exactly. And also being black, it was, you know, you couldn't be, you couldn't be racist in, on the scene. So I think I got off very easily, but there was, you know, there was no one that I could really relate to for a oh. very, very long time. But I have seen at, um, like at Loud Women gigs and uh, gigs that uh, uh, Ye Nuns have put on at the Lexington stuff, you've got so many more um, black female punk uh, um, type musicians. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm really happy. And um, I just hope that there's an, another way to tunnel through all of this COVID bollocks and get get the women out there again, you know? You know what? I did, um, I, I did quite an interesting interview a little while ago. So um, when the whole Black Lives Matter thing re-emerged this year, um, I thought that rather than me ranting, I mean, I wrote a couple of poems around it and stuff, but rather than me just ranting about it, I interviewed some black activists and black performers I knew. You can see the videos of the interviews on my website. But um, I interviewed Rhoda Dakar and a few other people. I, I interviewed a guy called uh, Peter DeGraff Johnson, better known as the Repeat Beat Poet. Um, and he was really, really good talking about activist poetry and about anti-racism. And one of the things, uh, he, he emphasised a lot about self-education. And one of the things he said was, look for black people wherever you are, okay? And by that, he didn't, he didn't just mean, ge he meant geographically where you are. So now I'm interested in finding out the history of black people in Lewis, which probably won't take me very long. Um, but also where you are in terms of work, right? Start thinking about like the history of black people on London Underground, for instance, about the recruitment that London Underground did in, in the Caribbean after the war and the people who came over works and stuff. Um, but also where black people are in, in, in what you do kind of culturally as well. Um, so yeah, that prompted me to buy a couple of books that I've just started reading on the Harlem Renaissance. So that was the movement in between the first and second world war of American Negro writers, uh, performers, poets, playwrights, um, etc., um, under the banner of what was at, at, at the time called the New Negro, meaning it was kind of black assertiveness, black pride for the first time. Um, uh, cultural movement around that. The, the better known names are people like Langston Hughes and Claude McKay, but there were lots of women involved in it as well. So. No, it's, no, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I think all, I, you know, people aren't being taught stuff like that. That's where, it, that's where it should start. Is, yeah, show me age. I went to school in the seventies and the eighties, and we were, we were never taught anything about Black history ever. The only thing that would ever touch on was we'd have like maybe one or two lessons in history about how the British Empire stopped slaving. <laughs> it's like yeah but rewind who fucking started it mate? <laughs> you know that's and and it's that hasn't changed i don't believe that's changed very much i had a really interesting no. conversation with my oldest son the other day um he's he's 21 and he's at university now but he was saying to me um they do teach about empire now and slavery in schools they teach about it loads problem now is the way they teach it yeah when he started reading beyond the school syllabus and realised that actually there was civilization in, in Africa, there was industry, there were there, there were imperialists, there were bosses, there were exploiters, there was class divide, all that, he said it was immensely liberating. 
Yeah, and, you know, why would you steal people away who have never created anything and have no culture and, and mm-hmm. have no use? Why Why would you want them? You know, it's, it's just, this is kind of what I was taught, and that was 40 years ago, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that has to keep getting pushed, right? It's not going, it doesn't happen organically, right? It happens by people, students, um, and, you know, students in universities and, um, you know, teachers just, you know, have to challenge it and push it because there's still those forces of conservatism just, um, you know, pushing an agenda um, and in the current climate that, you know, everything's got a motive behind it, doesn't it? Yeah, well, so they, you know, Gove, the frog-faced bastard, <laughs> he's the one who, um, he changed the, the school curriculum in the last um, government, I think, to mainly focus on the greatness of the British Empire. You know, it's, yeah. that's, how does that help anybody, you know, except, you know, to know that all empires die eventually. Like, fuck. And breathe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, um, what's everyone's plans next? What, uh, once, once we get out of the house again oh well i'll probably go back to work at the archives and wait for janine to visit me (laughs) um it's actually a very good point actually because next year is the centenary of the popular council rates rebellion that's right and we need to do stuff i know that's a good idea have some events i know Um, i know you've 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 emailed us and i I passed it on to the uh the concerned parties and And they haven't got back to me what can i say yeah, you can if if you want to nudge him, then nudge him. I'll nudge him again. I'll nudge him again. But yeah, that would be really good because I mean, you've written about mini. You've written about the whole poplar rent strike mm. situation. Mm. Yeah. It'd be nice for nice Tower Hamlets Council to um, be reminded of what a real socialist Labour council looks like, um, rather than one it. which sacks all its workers and reemploys them on worse terms and conditions like it's doing now. That's right. Yeah, I'm on strike now, actually, Janine. So um, good for you. Fantastic. Yeah. Solidarity to Debbie and all the other yeah. Hamlet's workers. And hopefully, once we're all let out again, I can go and play with the Dorises. Yes. Yay! So yeah. it is written. So it shall be. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we shall we shall play with Hagar the womb as yes. well. Yeah, I must do that. I want to play. I want to rehearse. I want to be there. I even want to listen to a drummer drumming. I never thought I wanted to be in a rehearsal room listening to drumming, <laughs> but now I want to hear drumming. <laughs> oh, my, my mind, my, my head's not getting past the thought of Cassie playing with the womb. Which was <laughs> <laughs> jumped up then when you said you were looking forward to doing. We that. once played with a band called Anal Beards, and so we played as a yeah. super group called Anal Womb. It was one of the most disgusting things. Anal Beards are great. Good name. They are a very fine band, but anal womb together was a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good name for them, isn't it? <laughs> oh, thank you so much, everyone. Oh, oh that was great fun. Thank, thank you for inviting me. Yes, thank you. That was great fun. Thank you. I've subscribed to it on Apple Podcasts, so I'll, I'll, I'll oh, do it. Oh, you'll oh, be notified you in due oh. course then. Oh, I'll do that too. Yeah, it's it's on all it's on all the the things now. It's on Spotify and. Amazon. Like I think I'm a bit late to the party because I'm just learning about podcasts now. 
I'm planning on starting my own next year. You really should. I think you should. Cars, ranting, rhyming, revolting. Oh, lovely. Oh, nice. oh. Yeah, that sounds great. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Have a lovely evening, Dorises. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I never knew it was Gordon, the guy who came from Morden. His face was cute and handsome. That's when we began some adventure, most romantic and passion, snogging antics. He said I wasn't common, his child lines were rotten. We rented an apartment and sat there in the darkness. Our income for domestics could not afford electrics. Till he got a job on Sundays, vlogging up our fundies. When we got the Another letter with his own majesty function. We're really up there.